And we have a uh, a friend of WBAI. He's been on this air many a time, and he's joining us. Uh, good morning. Good evening out where you are in California. Good morning here in New York, Greg Pallast. Glad to be with you again. Yeah, great to have you on. Uh, so, Greg, uh, you're here by popular demand. A lot of folks like to hear from you. And I know I was checking out your website, and you've been talking about what's happening in Ukraine. And, of, and of course, you're talking about the uh, the elections, the right to vote, and how we're losing the right to vote uh, throughout the country by the nefarious designs of the uh, Republican right wing and the dark money uh, interests that are pushing people like Donald Trump. And so we decided to have you on to talk about these things. It's a controversial subject. I'd like to take some calls later on. I know some of our callers feel that uh, that uh, the uh, January 6th uh, seditionists were, in fact, uh, rebels or that the uh, trucks over at the uh, – and maybe you have that opinion too – the trucks over at the uh, uh, crossing in, uh, in De- uh, Detroit – that we're blocking and are protesting the government in Canada or are fighting for our freedoms uh, not to wear a mask or get vaccinated. Um, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what freedom means. And I guess that's wow. one of the okay, things. Okay, so we got it. We just hit all over the map. We're in Georgia, Ukraine, and um, the Canadian border. I right. think we can cover it pretty good. Uh, and George, well, there's two Georges as well. We could talk to There's two Georges. <laughs> there's, um, uh, the, so, there's a, the one um, on my mind and the other one. Yeah. So uh, let, let's start with a few. And for those who don't don't we don't I may be back by popular demand, but if you don't know who Greg Pallast is, uh, I'm the guy in the hat that you see on Democracy Now. And uh, um, and uh, and several other Pacifica. Uh-huh. Programs, but I generally work for um, BBC, The Guardian, Out of Britain, and uh, Rolling Stone. Uh, so um, the reason, uh, so I wanted, I am happy to talk to you about Ukraine. I just got a call. I have a big. For those who don't know me, the Palestine, uh, I run something called the Palestine Investigative Fund. Uh, so it's a big team. I'm just the hat on camera. And we do have a Ukrainian correspondent, uh, Yuri Kushner, who just uh, contacted me today from Ukraine and um, who's been on our team a long time, trying to give me a little more breakdown of what's really happening there. And, and I just want people to understand, what we're getting in the press in America is the return of the Cold War, you know, the Russian bear versus freedom-loving Americans and, 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 their, and our allies yearning to breathe free. Um, and that's just not what's going on. This is not the Cold War. Uh, this is uh, medieval. This is another religious war. And we're going to bring in the issue of oil. And Hugo Chavez, an old friend of mine, a late old friend of mine. And how does this all relate? Mm. Number one, you have to understand the Ukrainian, uh, what's going on in Ukraine. It is a religious war. There are three religions at loggerheads, actually, two allied. And so in, in the Donbass, which is this little tiny sliver of Ukraine on the very eastern edge, which is actually connected through a little kind of little uh, slice of beach on the Baltic to Crimea. And these are almost the entire um, Donetsk area, the, that is the, the far east of Ukraine, are Russian Orthodox. That's the main religion, about 15% Muslim. 
Uh, there are no Muslims in the rest of, of the nation, effectively. And the rest of the nation is overwhelmingly Greek and Ukrainian Orthodox. Don't ask me what the difference is between Greek, Ukrainian, and Russian Orthodox churches. Um, uh, you know, as, as Freud called these, these are the conflicts of the vanity of small differences. Um, but it is a bloody difference. And so the Russian patriarch, Kirill, has really pushed Putin. That's what's moving Putin. It is the, the Russian Orthodox Church, which is screaming bloody murder for two things. The one is that they're screaming bloody murder because there's bloody murders going on in the Donetsk. 3,000 over Human Rights Watch and the United Nations reported that in the past seven years, over 3,000 civilians have been killed in the Far East by Ukrainian forces. So you have a, a That's exactly what was denied, people. Greg Palace. that that was what Antony Blinken today was denying and calling a false flag operation and was clearly what you just said, said the deputy foreign minister of Russia told the United Nations this afternoon. Well, Ex um, exactly the story. In fact, the, the, the 3,007 counted civilians, we don't know the uncounted ones that are dead, that's from the United Nations report which was um, uh, certified by Human Rights Watch. Right. So you have to understand, Ukraine has been bombarding its own people. And uh, those people, when you say its own people, understand that the Donetsk area, this little, um, uh, the Donbass area, mm -hmm. and, the, and Crimea, were never part of Ukraine historically. It's not, this, is, these, this was part of Russia until from 1783, until 1954. 1954. I'm sorry to have to give you history and No, dates, that's why we're here. But, you know, that, you <laughs> Go know, for it. let's get some This is the place. You're, now you're at the place and the time where you can yeah. do that. Well, exactly. In New York that's City, 50,000 watts. Yeah. yeah, you know, because I can actually tell a, a fuller story. Yeah. So, it, so, uh, so for 200 years until 1954, that's the year Nikita Khrushchev uh, took over from uh, when Stalin died. And he was in a fight over with, uh, for power with the prime minister, uh, Melenkov. And um, not to be confused with John Mellencamp, the singer. <laughs> <laughs> Georgi Mellenkov. And uh, so what, um, what Khrushchev did is that he took Crimea, which had the big, naval, the, the big naval base for the Russians, still is, and gave it to his buddy in the Ukraine to reduce the power of Melenkov in the Politburo. But understand, it was one nation, so this is just moving, you know, it's internal political lines. This is not, you know, um, Ukraine was not a separate nation. Uh, so when, when the Soviet Union fell apart, you had all these very ridiculous borders. It's not just the Ukraine, but uh, we see, you know, Azerbaijan, Armenia. There's all these borders that were Moldova. drawn by Stalin or, or Khrushchev, which had nothing to do with the uh, with the ethnic groupings, the religious groupings. So suddenly all these Russian Orthodox found themselves in Ukraine and as the Crimea, same with the Crimea, which is definitely Russia and always been Russia. Mm -hmm. But, you know, while, while um, Crimea voted, whether we like it or not, it was a democratic election, voted to go back to Russia, in part because, they're, because the pensions in Russia are five times as high as they are in Ukraine. Um, and the uh, but 
in 2010, you had um, you had a pro-Russian president, a guy from the Donetsk, elected as president of the Ukraine, um, a um, you know uh, Viktor Yanukovych or Yanukovych, um, and Yanukovych was elected fairly. The United States certified his election as fair. He won again in 2014, but between 10 and 14, he switched allegiance to favor Russia because the the uh, European Union, he was asking the European Union for some debt relief. The nation was completely broke after the uh, 2008 through 10 economic crisis, and, you know, Germany and the European Union told him to go to hell. So he, So Putin said, well, ally with me and I'll take care of your economic problems. But then that caused in 14, um, when he won re-election, and again, he's from the East, he was a Russian speaker, Yanukovych, and uh, so then there was an uprising, and in, the, and in the U.S. it was played as, this insurrection was played as a, a democratic uprising. No, it wasn't. It was the same, it was no different than the January 6th insurrection. Mm-hmm. The difference was, is that it was backed by outside forces, and it was backed by the Ukrainian church, which did not want to have influence of the Russian church, mm-hmm. so the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and it was basically an uprising of the Ukrainian uh, of the Ukrainian Orthodox and right wing, to a great extent, right wing fascists, mm-hmm. um, and so you overthrew. They overthrew the elected president. Weren't they marching with banners with the uh, picture of uh, a, a fascist leader who was considered a Ukrainian nationalist in World War II, Stephen? Right. Well, that was one of the problems. Banderas fact, actually, or something. Today, um, my uh, Yuri, uh, our uh, Yuri uh, Kushner, our um, our correspondent, was saying that in front of the building where he was staying, which is in the far west, there was a big giant graffiti that said, wash the Russians in the blood of the Jews. Nice, huh? So there is this fascist element. Now, he did say that they are a minority, but they are pushing and pushing for the destruction of the Donetsk. They don't really want to keep control of it. They don't want it to become part of Russia. But understand, there's been this artillery shelling for years of the Donetsk region. Now, I have to say that when the the uh, pro-Russian president was overthrown. Donetsk, the Donbass um, uh, separatist insurgency started. These are not nice guys either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are. They got artillery. They got weapons. And the Russian army moved into the Donbass to protect these people from being, you know, completely wiped out. It was going to be a massive ethnic cleansing. So the Russians went in to protect. Russian ethnics and and uh, the Orthodox uh, believers. Now, now you know, we get to the Minsk agreements. Are you ready for this? This is Greg Callis. Right. I hope you're all taking yeah, notes. Greg, we're letting you, yeah, we're taking notes, Greg. Uh, and uh, the, so we're talking about Ukraine. We're talking about the, what the what led up to this circumstance, mm-hmm. where uh, there's a world. You know, the president, and it's not me saying it. That's what I was saying earlier. That 
what makes this period so different from the 60s and 70s is that uh, the, the words uh, are being said by the government itself. So uh, it's not a matter of me getting here and being said, oh, you're going over the top, Paul, saying World War III. It's not really in World War They're not really Nazis. They're not, you know, they really, in their own words, that's what they are. And they say well, it themselves. Understand, it's like the usual thing. The extremists, just like the extreme evangelicals, you know, the ultra-right evangelicals here, and you see the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the rest that, that were behind the January 6th uprising, these are the people who are pushing, trying to push the government. Now, here's the thing. The one kind of line of hope is that the president of Ukraine is oddly Jewish, so he doesn't have a dog in the fight. There's very few Jews left uh, in Ukraine, but the president is Jewish. But on the other hand, he's... Um, he speaks um, Ukrainian with a Russian accent, and so he's always, because he's Jewish and he speaks with a Russian accent, he's suspect. So he has to kind of play to the church leaders and the right wing. But he is trying to cool things out. He told Biden to kind of shut his mouth. He, you know, he's trying to de-escalate the situation. Now, part of the de-escalation that he was trying, pushing, and he, in a way, he and Putin are on are uh, one wavelength, which is that they want to reinstitute the Minsk II agreements. Now, in 2015, and by the way, if you want to get this stuff and you don't have to take notes, just go to gregpalast.com, mm-hmm. and it says uh, seven facts about Ukraine, deadly men in funny hats. And um, so in, in what 2015... What are the funny hats? Well, because... Every religion has, you know, whether uh, Jews, Muslims, Orthodox uh, of various stripes, they'll have their various hats, you know. Right. <laughs> hats are always a part of religion since the dawn of man for some reason. Uh, the ta- uh, maybe I, some anthropologists uh, will call in and explain why. I think Calix- but, Catholics have uh, baseball caps, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's, um, and, and Jews have baseball caps without the brims. There, there you go. go. Right. There you go. So it's... Um, uh, so the Minsk agreements um, allowed the Russians to leave the Donbass, the Russian troops to leave the Donbass, on condition that this eastern part of Ukraine uh, would be this little sliver, would have you know a fair amount of, of self-rule and autonomy, and also that nothing could be done, you know, it would give them some authority in the Ukrainian government. They wouldn't be uh, um, excluded. Mm-hmm. The Ukrainian government has never implemented the Minsk II agreement. On the other hand, I will say that the separatists in the Donbass, they don't want to implement the Minsk II agreement because they want to return to their original uh, um, country, Russia. When did this agreement was signed? I, I sort of know the answer, but I, I would describe to us how the Minsk agreements, Minsk is the capital city of Belarus, uh, mm-hmm. which used to be as a ru- part of the Soviet Union, but is now an independent mm-hmm. country, but very close to Russia. Where, right. what, what, is, what are the Minsk agreements, just briefly? So just... the Minsk agreements were uh, established by France, Germany, Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian separatists, and endorsed but not signed by Russia. So it's a French-German agreement, which is why Macron keeps going to um, – to Moscow, because the Minsk agreement is, is basically a French-drafted agreement. And uh, he's saying, yeah, well, let's try to reestablish it. It's just very hard to do. I know that, that the president of Ukraine would like to reestablish the Minsk II terms, but, you know, he's getting a lot of pressure from the religious right and the fanatic right. 
because, uh, you know, uh, and so... Sounds familiar. And of course, you've got, on the other hand, you have Kirill, the patriarch of Moscow, you know, screaming bloody murder. He does not want to just protect the persecuted Orthodox, and they are persecuted. He wants to um, reestablish the Moscow Church uh, Supreme in Kiev. Uh, so, you know, so you have two sides in a religious conflict. Yeah. And there's also an ethnic conflict here. For example, one thing I learned today, um, I know that this may, if, if you ever lived in Europe, you would understand how important the Eurosong contest is. Well, one of the provocations, and it's, you know, you have to imagine this, one of the provocations is that the woman who won the Eurosong contest for Ukraine and was going to represent Ukraine at Eurosong, and again, this is like the Olympics of pop music, mm. um, the woman who's going to represent Ukraine, uh, she sang a Ukrainian folk song. How, you know, how ethnically pure is that? Except that she had given concerts in Crimea and in Russia and in the Donbass and uh, her in musical tour. Mm-hmm. And they forced her to resign. She, so uh, Ukraine will not have anyone in Eurosong be, simply because she'd actually shown up in the Donbass re- region and in Crimea. Mm-hmm. So the Russian speakers and the Russian ethnics and the ortho and the Russian Orthodox are saying, you know, we're being, you know, it's like we're not citizens. Anyone yeah. who has any dealings, who if you even go to the Donbass, you are now it's you can be arrested. It's against the law. In other words, they have made it almost a crime to be an Eastern Ukrainian, yeah. to be a Russian ethnic, and they're Russian speakers. The other thing is that uh, the last president Poroshenko who's now returned, this is a cho- right-wing chocolate mag- magnate that the U.S. loves. Yeah. Yeah. Petro Por- Poroshenko, is, uh, when he was president, banned Russian in the schools. Now, that's like in California if you said banning Spanish, or even better, banning Spanish in Mexico. Because you have to understand, there's a big hunk of the nation, even beyond the eastern edge, that only speaks Russian. They don't speak Ukrainian. And suddenly they're, they're told that their schools, that the teachers, some of whom can't really properly speak Ukrainian anyway, that they have to teach, you know, physics and math in Ukrainian, that they can't speak the Russian that they've spoken for That's terrible. centuries and centuries. When you get into language stuff, that's yeah. cultural genocide. Yeah? No kidding. The first step towards the real thing. So, yeah, the problem is that once you have this kind of cultural genocide, religious persecution, and again, when we're talking about, we're not talking about a war that may start. We're talking about a war that's been going on for years with thousands and thousands of people dying, including troops and insurgents. It's been over 10,000 dead. So to say that when will the war start, the question for me is when will the war end? And so that's why, I, I, from our Ukrainian correspondent, who, uh, you know, he's a guy who doesn't have a dog in this fight. He's a secularist and, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and actually at this moment is a uh, professor of linguistics in Germany. So he's gotten out. He just left. He just got out yesterday on the last flight because they've canceled all flights out um, and in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to give a different perspective and try yeah. to take it away from this Cold War narrative right. that has seized the American press. And that, you look, I'm no big buddy of Putin, but you have to understand, if you are gunning down, if in Mexico, right. 
Lopez Obrador suddenly, you know, had a bunch of people starting to gun down every uh, English speaker in, in Baja, um, I think that the U.S. would uh, react to that pretty mm-hmm. severely with tanks. There's no question about it. They're almost you have saying that now. ethnic cleansing against Americans on the U.S. border. Um, if Russia you know, we, we, and we Ukraine, Greg Palast, uh, if Russia and Ukraine got involved in a dust-up, how long before the U.S. would, you know, go beyond just giving high-tech weapons and actually send in advisors to show them how to use the weapons. And then, of course, to back the advisors up, you need people to protect them. And then next thing you know, you're on that slippery slope. Well, I should say I'm going to take a chance, and I hope history doesn't make me foolish by next week. Mm. There's not going to be a wide-scale war or invasion. Um, Biden kind of hit it on the head when he blurted out, about something, what he called a minor incursion. He didn't explain it. He just sounded uh, kind of, you know, lost, as he often does. What he really meant, and he said that NATO would not react to a minor incursion. What he basically was saying is if Russia did what they did in 2015 and move in tanks into that little sliver Mm. and move in uh, troops into that little sliver of Ukraine called the Donbass, if they did that, Let's, the Europeans are not going to say we're going to send in our, our troops to die over a piece of land which is clearly which is filled with Russians, always been part of Russia. So that minor incursion on the border is not going to lead to any war. Um, and I don't even think that the Ukrainians have no ability to even go back into the Donbass at this time. Uh-huh. So I think if there's going to be conflict, it's going to be very, very limited, and I hope that history doesn't make me foolish and that there's bodies all over the place. Because, and here's what I wanted to get before we end the program, this is very important. Mm-hmm. What right. is Putin's motivation? There's two things. He has to remember, he may be a fascist, but he still has to get reelected. And he has to play to his religious base, just like Donald Trump did. Donald Trump is certainly no religious man, but he played to the religious right. Putin has to do the same thing. He's not a major believer, but he, but his base is, is in the Ukrainian or excuse me, the uh, Moscow Orthodox Church. Right. And he has to stay on Kirill's good side. However, his big motivation right now is the Russian economy. It's oil. And remember, I said Hugo Chavez. Let's. Uh, how does this all relate? Um, the Russian economy was crushed by COVID and the collapse of oil prices in 2020. Completely crushed. This con- these conflicts have raised the price of oil to nearly $100 a barrel. Yeah. Now, 40%, 40% of the Russian, the entire Russian national budget is uh, our sale of oil, gas, and royalties. Mm-hmm. So... A gas station is what Biden calls it, right? A giant gas station. He calls Russia a gas station. Greg, we we got some calls. Want to take a question or two? Yeah. From the listeners? That's important. But the solution, by the way, is really simple, which is to uh, end the embargo of Venezuela. That'll that'll crush the price of oil. (laughs) There we go. but we're not going to do that. I know. We're going to pay the big price of the oil, and then and the Republicans will win the election on it. You're on the air, I hope. Hello? Yeah, you're on the radio. Hello? Got a question or comment for Greg Palast. Yeah, I want to mention a couple of things. I'm 
grateful for this historical overview, but your guest either neglected or glossed over a couple of things. Okay. Uh-oh. Let's go back to the period between the World Wars, uh, 1930s, when uh, Uncle Joe, better known as Josef Bistudianovich Jugashvili, yes, that's his real name, he was a Georgian, not a Russian, yep. as, as your guest knows and as you know, Paul, uh, when Stalin was attempting to collectivize, and he referred to the entire population of Ukraine as kulaks, which is a very derogatory term mm-hmm. from what my Ukrainian friends tell me. Uh, you know how many millions of Ukrainians he killed? Which was emphasized in World War II, because when the three armies invaded on the 22nd of June, uh, Army Group B... Um, or was it C? Yes, Army Group C went into the Ukraine, and as your guest can tell you, they were throwing flowers at the German soldiers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look up the history of Ukraine during the 1940s. There was a was a Waffen-SS Ukrainian legion. There was a one of the uh, uh, Waffen, uh, the Tottenkopf, there were Ukrainians who actually participated as members of the Einsatzgruppen, Einsatzgruppen three, under Olaf, under Ollendorf, Otto Ollendorf. Those are the ones behind the final solution. Yes. And to this day, no one, as far as I know, was ever punished. Your guests can uh, either uh, 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 corroborate or disagree. No one in Ukraine, as far as I know, was ever punished. For crimes against the oh, crimes against the Russians, is that correct? Uh, that I, you know, it's one you stumped me there. I'd have to look that up. But I think one of the things I'm glad you called because I think you've added actually instead of I don't think we have a disagreement. I think it underscores my point that this is a long-standing religious ethnic battle, long-standing. The Ukrainians and Russians don't like each other and the and the Ukrainian patriarchate of the Orthodox Church has been in a schismatic war with the Moscow patriarchate and this is long standing this is centuries long and so there's a great hatred between uh be, between the uh the religious groups and the ethnic So groups. what's worse the uh, communism of Stalin or uh, the uh, allegedly to the anti-communists, the superiority of the traditional culture. Well, I think one of the things we have to remember, <laughs> or is that, we got to throw it all yeah. out, the anarchists, right? Where right. Well, at this moment, of course, there there are no communists. You know, the, back then I'm know, talking about. Yeah, back then. <laughs> Putin is is anything but Stop, a socialist. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I think Stalin the, was you know, though, which you yeah, know he's is a, he's a right wing <laughs> yeah. corporatist. Unfortunately. Yeah. Right. yeah. But the uh, well, you know, so, but a, what's you know, important a... here is is again which is why the Cold War meme doesn't work. Because this is a long standing battle which goes before World War One, before and through World War Two, through um the the collapse of uh, the Soviet Union. Yeah. And so we cannot make it another Cold War scenario, the Russian bear versus the freedom loving Ukrainian. Right. That's not the story. It's a religious ethnic, linguistic conflict 
And isn't that the and, fear here that what this maybe not an invasion, maybe not a direct war, but a new Cold War where we, you know, our general, the rest of our lives and our, you know, children and grandchildren have to face another, you know, terrifying uh, 30 years? Well, I think our, our uh, war industry would just love that. Yeah, they haven't been I, see that. I just saw a bunch of full-page ads is, in the Wall Street Journal today by right. Northrop Grumman. I, I'm going to have to so go on to some other saying, calls. I'm going to just uh, j- jump in because we have a bunch of other calls, so I'm going to bring up some other people, give them a chance. Okay. You, you're on the radio. Hello? Hello? Oh, here they are. Hello? You there? Yes. Go ahead. Hey. How you doing? Got a question? Hey, how are you? Yeah, oh, we got I get two... your first name. I like to. I like to know your name. You know mine. I'm Greg Palace. What's your first name, anyway? I'm Russell Pinsley. And uh, okay, Russell. Greg, I'd like to. Is there I somebody to... else waiting? I'm anyway, sure. Do I have two people on the line? Is there another person? Yes, you do. Who, what's your first name? Richard. Richard. All right, Richard and Russell. Okay, Richard and Russell. Russell. Uh, Richard was first, so let's give Richard a shot first. Go ahead. All Question right. or comment? Well, um, regardless of what's going on. Ukraine and Russia, and, um, you know, who's to blame and who's not to blame. I mean, that's a whole complicated thing, but where does it come to be our right to be involved and try to control what's going on there? I mean, imagine if we were in a dispute with Mexico and Russia said, no, no, you can't do that. I mean, people would go crazy here. We invade all over the world. Nobody invades more, nobody kills more, and, and, and further in thousands and thousands of miles away from their own border. And here's like a, you know, a side-by-side issue, and regardless of who's right and who's wrong, what gives us the right to, be, to attempt to be the arbiter of the whole thing? Well, I noticed well, that in a lot of the uh, stuff we've been hearing, they keep referring to countries like Ukraine and even Russia as if they were recalcitrant parts of the United States. I keep saying, that, thinking they're going to accuse uh, Putin of treason and have him arrested for sedition and put him put him on trial and send him yeah. to a supermax. I mean, you well, know, the Soviet Union disbanded. The Warsaw Pact nations, which was their equivalent to NATO, disbanded. Our president promised uh, Gorbachev that uh, NATO would not expand eastward, and it has. We have them surrounded with troops and bases and missiles. I mean, what kind of arrogance is this? Uh, Well, actually, I'll tell you what. I'm going to completely disagree with you. I think that you're coming back to that Cold War trope, and it's not here. The United States, first of all, is not deeply involved, just so you know. Uh, the, uh, in fact, the Blinkens made a point that uh, Article 5 of NATO doesn't apply. We don't have any uh, treaty or security agreement with Ukraine. And we've, in fact, refused them um, the major advanced weapon systems. Second, Russia does not have a causus belli to invade Ukraine. They're surrounding Ukraine and threatening Ukraine, and that is completely... I'm an internationalist, a Marxist internationalist. I'm, I'm not a, a big friend of uh, isolationism. Uh, it is wrong for Russia to threaten Ukraine. On the other hand, it is wrong for Ukraine to be killing what it claims is its own people uh, because they speak a different language and they have a different um, religion. 
uh, not really different religion. They they literally have the same religion, just uh, re, uh, you know, um, adhere to a different patriarchate of the Orthodox Church. Um, so it is the United States is not deeply involved in this fight. We have yeah, we have a lot of press conferences and we have Blinken uh, making statements, blah blah blah. But there's no at, at most we're saying we're going to threaten Russia by possibly you know, according to Biden, we're going to close off Nord Stream, which will never ever happen uh, because the Germans could it have an accident want their gas could and Nor- they don't care could Nord they couldn't Stream? care less about just so you know as you know from uh, you know especially given the history of World War II they couldn't care less about the Ukrainians or what happens to them mm-hmm. so the answer is is that we are not stepping into um, Ukraine and I don't think that the Russia is stepping into Ukraine they have no business stepping into Ukraine either Except what to protect we the have Russian stepping ethnic. into Iraq in 2003 on false pretenses. Well, uh, yeah, I didn't talk about your, people. Iraq. Right. We I didn't talk about people. Yeah. Okay, well, what does that have to do with um, with whether Russia? Is, so, in other words, Russia. You're saying Russia has the right to enter no, Kiev. No, I'm saying that we have no right to be telling people across, you know, well, that's, that's, the other that's side the, of the uh, world what they should be doing when nobody tells us what we, what we should be doing, and we do so many wrong things. All right. Yeah, that's the hypocrisy argument that we have no right to do the moral thing because we've done immoral oh, things. I don't know. We yeah, could have a long doing discussion a moral about thing, that. Helping but the, the U.S. is not creating a human rights well, crisis uh, in Yemen by the, selling but them let's, weapons. Let's get the facts straight. The U.S. is not involved in Ukraine. We're, you know, then why, we why is that the leadoff item in the, in the cable news network shows every day? Of course, because they want to recreate the Cold War. They love it. They see this as the cold, you know, recreating the Cold War. This is the Berlin crisis repeated. This is, you know, this this great. This is the Cuban Missile Crisis repeated. That's the the trope of the press, and I don't think that we should be reflecting it because it's just not true. It is not the Cold War. It's not the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's not the Berlin standoff. It's not Iraq. It's not Vietnam, where you have proxy uh, armies fighting each other. It is a religious conflict within Ukraine, and it's really, despite all the hoo-ha, is not going to expand beyond an internal battle between Ukrainians or Ukrainians. Okay, let me jump to the next. Uh, uh, let me just one one last thing. Okay. Would the situation in Ukraine be worse or better if what happened in in 2014 hadn't happened? Because our hands were all over that. I mean, there's you've been taking yes, over well, Crimea. State yeah, I mean, the, the thing about Cheney's okay, foreign policy yeah. advisor, Victoria Newland, over there to help engineer That's right. Food. And, and exactly. We played a very ugly role in 14 yeah, by overthrowing know. the elected government, which was pro Russian. So, as so maybe you know, we the real. Stay the, the hell out of there. Yeah, well, there's no question. I won't say that, that the United States isn't meddling in Ukraine and didn't have a lot to do with the change in Ukrainian government but we it wasn't like a cia engineered overthrow this was the there is an indigenous crazy right-wing religious fanatic just like we have here it was very much like i say the the 2014 maidan um rebellion was very much like the january 6th insurrection except it was bigger and it succeeded and it probably could not have succeeded without the u.s recognizing the rump government of Timoshenko, and uh, who would, would led the Maidan uh, uprising. So the U.S. and Europe immediately recognized this non-elected government, and 
the conflicts today result directly from that. There's no question. So I'm not going to say the U.S. isn't meddling. The U.S. hasn't been a bad actor in this. I won't say that. I just say that we're not – I don't see us going into – or NATO going uh, – having a, a armed conflict with Russia over this. Right, and if they do, we'll have to have you back on again and talk about what went wrong. Apologize. <laughs> no, you don't have to apologize. We'll have to discuss what went wrong. Who nobody could. We don't have a crystal ball. I wish we did. But you're hey, as close as we're going to come. Yeah, hang I on. I just want to say one word. Uh, you're listening to WBAI New York. It's seven minutes after one in the morning. Our guest is Greg Palast, and we're talking about Ukraine. Greg has a website, gregpalast.com, Right? Is it? GregPalace.com. And you can get more and follow up on some of the things you're hearing right now. And we often hear Greg on uh, uh, Democracy Now! and other uh, news, uh, famous news outlets, including Rolling Stone and The Guardian. And uh, we're taking your calls here at 212-209-2877. And I do believe we have Russell on the line. How are you doing, I, Russell? Yeah, I have 15 more seconds for one last point. Uh, no, you had yeah. your last point. Thank you. I'll be quick. That's all right, Russell. Take your time, Russell. I I agree with Greg that uh, there'll be no conflict. It's really a distraction for Biden to uh, have us look away from runaway inflation and a Johns Hopkins study that said masks are useless and lockdowns are unnecessary and that this has been a catastrophic moral crime that the government has committed against the citizens. I agree. It's all a distraction. But, you know, Greg, my hat's off to you with your election expertise, and I want to ask you a question about that. But okay. you said there's no difference between January 6th and Maidan 2014, except uh, January 6th wasn't backed by foreign forces, Obama, McCain, Vicky Newland. January 6th was not influenced by religious forces, except evangel- evangelicals, Jews, Catholics were there. And there were no snipers. So I think that you have a problem making that comparison. But I want to ask you, Greg, specifically, okay, is that my understanding is that usually in elections, 23% of absentee ballots are generally rejected on technical grounds. Now, in the 2020 election with these no-excuses mail-in ballots, only 2% were rejected. How many millions of ba- votes do you think were should have been rejected on technical grounds that were actually counted? How many None. millions? I can tell. In fact, I'm not guessing. Okay, let, let me explain something. I know that this is the great Trump line that, um, remember, uh, in fact, our guys are down in Georgia now. And uh, I've been going to Georgia for nine years and investigating this carefully, including the issue of absentee ballots, which don't get counted. Yes, let me give you about one in seven black uh, ballots cast by black people are rejected. And they're not rejected because it's an illegal voter. If they were, they would be arrested. The state of Georgia, the state of Arizona, the state of of Michigan and the state of Wisconsin did not arrest a single voter and believe me they would if they could find an illegal voter in fact today um, uh, we have uh, new claims by Dinesh D'Souza um, you know the right-wing uh, commentator um, who said he has absolute proof absolute proof that there were illegal that there were Hundreds of thousands of illegal votes cast in Georgia, which caused Biden, Ossoff, and uh, the Democratic uh, candidates of Senate Ossoff and Warnock to win. Specifically, that they were that people were taking absentee ballots and stuffing them into the uh, into the uh, ballot. Uh, we have drop boxes. Now, they're great proof. And understand, these people have millions and millions of dollars. 
Every single drop box has a surveillance camera on it. And they went through all of the footage of people dropping off their ballots. And in all this footage, their, you know, their big proof that they had, they said, we have film proof. In fact, Donald Trump today, yesterday, sent out a note that they have on-video proof of stuffing those drop boxes. There was one video of a black man, and of course it's always a black man who's stealing votes, of a black man trying to put two ballots into the drop box. You can't, it'll only take one ballot at a time. So the second ballot fell to the floor, he picked it up and put it in. Aha, an illegal double voter, not true. Most people in, in Georgia, uh, just like in any other state, you can take anyone who lives with you or remember your family, you can take their ballot and drop it off at the drop box. So it was, could have been his elderly mother with the second ballot. And, uh, you know, th- this is silly because people do drop off, you know, hey, I'm going to the ballot box, give me your ballot, you know, to the people in your household. There, that is, so after thousands, they reviewed thousands of hours of videotape, and all they found is one black man putting in two pieces of mail. And the second uh, video they had was a black woman who puts in her one ballot. Then she steps back from the ballot box. It looks at it strangely, looks underneath the ballot, and they say, aha, there's another person. That, you know what they called? They said these are mules. So they referred to black people as mules. And they said there are 2,000 mules, you know, um, you know, which is easy to call a black person mule. So they're mules, like drug there. mules. Okay. And that's the phrase that, that, that Trump and Dinesh D'Souza use, mules. There are 2,000 mules. I wouldn't believe. I know Dinesh D'Souza, and I've been uh, his activity go back to the 1980s, and I wouldn't trust him with my toothbrush. Okay, can I? I (laughs) Much less his opinion about anything. Can I? Can I reiterate the one thing I asked? I asked a specific thing. Well, yes, you asked a specific thing about. uh, First of all, people should understand. By the way, never mail in your ballot. By the way, don't mail in your ballot because it does get rejected. There are way too many rejections. So, for example, in the 2000 race in Florida, which is the first race I covered for The Guardian and BBC television, one in seven black voters had their mail-in ballots disqualified. That was versus uh, 1%, 1%, so 14% of black ballots were disqualified, 1% 1% of white ballots were disqualified. And now, we're, does that mean that black people fill out thousands of illegal ballots? No. Because remember, you fill out a ballot, you put your name and address on it, you got your fingerprints all over it, it's very easy to, to go find that voter and arrest them. Nope, they just said, oh, used a red pen instead of a blue pen. You, you added a middle initial to your name when you signed it on the outside of the ballot, but you didn't register with that middle initial postage due cost 300,000 ballots in the 2012 election postage due okay so all these cockamamie reasons for disqualifying ballots and it's overwhelmingly overwhelmingly black people in our democracy so the fact that you're saying that there weren't enough ballots disqualified what do you want to do just say if you've it, you want to increase the number? Say, if you're black, let's just disqualify your ballot from the jump. Let's not even, like, do a 
the, the negative lottery that they have. I'm sorry. One of the major methods of vote suppression in the United States is simply disqualifying ballots which have been mailed in by people of color. That is a fact. Mm-hmm. Greg Palace, uh, thanks uh, for that, uh, Russell, and uh, illuminating conversation. Uh, we have somebody else on the line now. Are you there? Yes, this is Greg from North Jersey. Hey, how you doing, Greg from North Jersey? What's happening? You got a question and comment for uh, our guest, Greg Palast? Just a, real quick, uh, Mr. Palast, always good, always good stuff when we hear you in any medium. First of all, in Ukraine, under the Soviet Union, you had 48 million Ukrainians living under the Russians, if you will. And that was considered, I remember reading back in the 1970s, the largest minority group in the world living under another group. I wouldn't yes. want to look at that. But the thing is, you never, you haven't mentioned so far, um, okay, there's the Orthodox Church, of course, in Ukraine, but there's the, also the Greek Catholic Church in Ukraine. Are you familiar yes. with that? Where yes, are they on all this? They're allied, pretty much allied with the Ukrainian uh, patriarchate. So the, the Greeks, they're not as uh, fanatic and they're not, they don't have as, you know, they have a dog in the fight, but it's a little one. They're not as fanatic. The, the Greeks also, because the Greeks are more in this kind of southern tier and concentrated especially in Odessa, which is a multicultural city. There you have the, the Greek, Ukrainian, and Russian Orthodox Church and some still some Jewish community and a Muslim community in Odessa. It's one of the, one of the uh, places where you don't have this... Uh, where the conflict is not so severe. But yes, you're right. Um, the Ukrainians were under, uh, you know, um, Soviet and previously Russian mastery. They were a basically occupied territory, which is why for people in the Ukraine who lived under occupation, a brutal occupation, and you heard that Possibly millions of Ukrainians who died of starvation under Stalin. It's, it's like four um, if, if you think that the Ukrainians had the right to self-determination, then why don't the Ukrainians say that the people of the of the Donbas and Crimea have the right to their their self-determination as well? It's it's, as, a, it's you know exactly. as as uh, our reporter in Ukraine says, uh, who's Ukrainian by birth. He said, you know, uh, the Donbass is our Gaza. Yeah, it's horrible. Where, where are the west, the parts like in Lvov, like in the western parts of Ukraine? Where, it's a mixture of Orthodox and, yes. and Byzantine Catholic. Where are they in this? Okay, uh, Lvov or Lvoy, as it's called in Ukrainian. Yeah, yeah. It has several names, depending on what you're speaking. Uh, in fact, he was just reporting from there. Uh, that's kind of their Silicon Valley. It's fairly wealthy. It's high-tech. Um, in fact, a lot of our um, um, uh, video work is uh, processed in the Ukraine, and we use our computer experts there. So it's a really high-tech, fairly wealthy area. Uh, the secular, young secular people kind of are saying, we don't want the Donbass. Go away. Let's just end this. Give, you know, let the Russians go back to Russia. You know, that, that, so that's some of the feeling there among the secularists. Again, but that's where there was that graffiti on the wall, you know, um, uh, wash the Russians in Jewish blood. 
Right. So there are still, you That's still have the right-wing fanatics, but for the most part in the far west, they think that the people in, the, in, the, in uh, Kiev and, and to the east, and that conflict has little to do with them. Right. I, I guess one more and tie in a few things with uh, following what you do over the years. If the Democratic Party, and I used to be a municipal chairman here in New Jersey for years and constantly frustrated with the party, of course, if the Denver, and because we always had high-priced consultants that came in, knew nothing about the district, told us what to do, and then left the day after the election and didn't really care, but they made a whole bunch of money, um, the Democratic Party, if you will, with Mrs. Pelosi, if in 2000, and we were hearing rumblings about problems in Florida a year before it happened, mm-hmm. if the Democratic National Committee had listened to a reporter named Greg Powis about goings-on in Florida, Right? Yeah. No 9-11, no Iran-Iraq war, a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm giving too much credit here, but that's the world, if you will. I mean, well, I mean, uh, yeah. I, mean I have to say... The House and the Senate at this point. I mean, come on. When I was working for BBC and The Guardian, I had a, an interview with uh, Terry McAuliffe, who was chairman of the Democratic Party. And I said, are you aware of these illegal mass purges? Because we wanted his comment in right. Florida and elsewhere that uh, that they're planning for elsewhere around the United States of removing black people from the voter rolls, calling them felons, saying that they don't live in them, you know, they live in multiple states. Everyone named Jose Garcia is obviously the same person living in, registered in too many states, that type of game. And he said, well, we're not worried. We're going to have lawyers. We're going to have teams of lawyers out on Election Day. That was Terry McAuliffe's answer to me. Oh, that is to BBC. I mean, I was the reporter. Uh, they were com- the Democrats just simply have been blind on the issue, and in fact, hostile to me and any other reporter until until Stacey Abrams came along. The Democratic Party was deeply hostile to any discussion of vote suppression, saying we they accused us of you know what we hear from Adam Schiff, who's my congressman by the way, that anyone who attacks the American electoral si- system and says it's anything but perfect is undermining our democracy. Well, and this has been the line of the right. Democratic Party leadership forever. And when Stacey Abrams, and they, they're also afraid, they, they made the claim that if you say that elections, like, for example, I just told you that we had one in seven black ballots disqualified that were mailed in right. in uh, Florida in 2000. One in seven. And they don't want you to say that because they say it will discourage people from voting. And what Stacey Abrams proved in 2018, she was running for governor, and I was down there. I was the first person to put Stacey Abrams on national television. I was working with Al Jazeera at the time. And um, she said, uh, you know, this is a blue state if they would let us vote. And she screamed bloody murder about vote suppression. And the result is that it motivated people to come out and vote. You had the biggest turnouts in Georgia history, This, you know, and which shocked the Democratic Party because they say if you talk about vote suppression, people will stop voting. Not true. It got people angry because they realized if they're stealing my vote, it must be worth something. So well, Stacey Abrams finally I mean, legitimized this issue of talking about vote suppression, racial vote suppression. Well, I couldn't believe that the audacity of the same fascists that were screaming about the hanging chairs in Florida were the same people standing outside in Detroit. 20 years later, right? The same staffers from Tom DeLay and all that? That was amazing. Well, you know, I, I was in it, it Michigan. Was up on. Mm-hmm. In, in 2016, 
uh, as you know, uh, Hillary Clinton lost Michigan by 10,000 votes. And it was the Green Party that paid to have those ballots reviewed. And then Donald Trump successfully, successfully got a court to stop that recount. Because I was there at the recount, and those ballots, because what it was is there are thousands of ballots, again, that were rejected, almost all the mail-in ballots and some these big fold-out ballots that were thrown out by the scanners. And as they reviewed each ballot, it was overwhelmingly the, the ballots that were not counted. We never talk about this uh, spoilage issue. About 2 million to 5 million ballots in any presidential election are simply never counted, technically on the grounds that the ballot can't be read or you know, right. folded wrong or whatever. And um, so Trump stopped that. But the Democratic Party did not argue to count the remainder of the ballots 74,000 ballots were never counted in Detroit. 74,000 ballots. Hillary only lost by 10,000 ballots. I have the view, count every ballot. Count How every many ballot. ballots in Pennsylvania, Greg? Well, that, you know, again, we've there. got this issue yeah. of these massive uncounted ballots, which are... Now, one thing, by the way, just so you know, the not the Democratic Party, but activists like Latasha Brown of Black Voters Matter, uh, Jesse Jackson and, and the Transformative Justice Coalition, uh, Barbara Arnwine, these great uh, um, activists, most of them black women, and uh, who mounted a campaign to cure disqualified ballots. Now, that's a... It's an unusual process. If you do have your ballot rejected, in most states, you can actually go in and fix your ballot. That is, if you use a red pen instead of a blue pen, right, you can, right. in Georgia, for example, you can go in and redo your ballot. And that's how Biden won Georgia, because they disqualified tens of thousands of ballots, and these groups mounted a campaign to get people to go back into the county offices and fix their ballots, you know, fix their signature, fix, you know, uh, uh, you know, use a pen instead of a pencil for the ballot, et cetera. Right. So, well, um, if I may, before my last question, Greg, yeah. before I, um, great, Paul, great guest as always. If I may, I mean, seeing the Democratic Party, not the, we haven't been working class, you know, for half a century at this point, certainly not under St. Franklin Roosevelt's time, it's all these high paid consultants. And a guy that you came up with, a legend, at least to somebody my age, what would Eddie Oil Can Soblowski do right now with all this crap? Oh, boy. How would he approach this, right? <laughs> For those who don't know Eddie Oil Can Soblowski, and um, uh, he was the, uh, the, a great union leader with the Steelworkers Union. He was head of the Midwest Division of the United Steelworkers of America and ran for president. He was another guy who got shafted out of uh, his election as head of the Steelworkers Union. But he was a guy who wanted to bring back the labor movement to its 30s base, that they were the fighter for the working class, that they were militant. And, uh, you know, uh, I actually, he gave me my very first job as an investigator, Eddie Sidlowski, uh, oil can Eddie, as he was known. So, you know, fond memories of the late, great oil can Eddie uh, of, uh, of a labor you know, labor unionists of a very old school. And, yes, we miss those type of militant labor union leaders who are also, you know, uh, push the uh, Democratic Party to represent working people and uh, not, uh, not oh, the uh, Davos yeah. crowd. Thank uh, you. 
Exactly. All right. Thanks, guys. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Craig, thanks a lot for coming on. 